You wanted to see me, Miss Swinton? Have you been hearing about the new government modernization efforts? AI, RPAs, data science. Things are changing at this agency, and people will need new skills. Oh. I'd like you to get some training. Huh. Look at this management concepts catalog. Wow, over 275 courses. That's right, in local classrooms or instructor-led online classes. We still have budget in this fiscal year, so sign up online. Advance your career with courses from Management Concepts. Get a catalog at managementconcepts.com or call 833-578-8466. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello everybody and welcome back. Thank you very much for joining me. My name is Deborah Hatswell and you're listening to BBR Investigations. It's that time of year where the veil grows thin and the dimensions align and all manner of spook and sprite will enter the world on All Hallows Night. So tonight, as All Hallows draws near, I have some very spooky experiences that have been sent to me by listeners to the show and a personal encounter of my own with a man in a demob suit. Firstly, several weeks ago, I shared a report from a gentleman who no longer lives in the UK. Gary lives abroad now, and he contacted me by email to share some of his experiences. I will also be sharing a number of spooky reports from other listeners to the show. Gary says, I recently wrote to you and I told you about my possible alien contact when I was a young boy. I have had many paranormal experiences over my lifetime. I'm 60 years old now, including ghost contact. I'll tell you a few ghost stories I have had in chronological order. As a child of about four or five years of age, I had what I was told were bad dreams. I had the same reoccurring dream many, many times. So often, it was almost like I knew it would happen before falling asleep. I knew that it was going to happen. It was like an experience, like a taste or a smell. My mother, two younger sisters and I, lived with my grandparents back then in a large brick, three-storey, semi-detached house in Stafford. In my so-called dream, the same thing would happen each time. I would wake up in the middle of the night and I was unable to turn the lights on or wake my sisters up. I would walk in the dark through the spooky old house which was creepy in the daytime, let alone in the middle of the night. I would slowly go down the stairs and a little further along the hallway, and I would be filled with dread. As I neared the end of the stairs, I always knew that the door on my right that went to our living room was where these beings or creatures I would see would appear from. As I turned to walk down a corridor, I saw three small beings. They had human faces of a sort, but each with large heads. 
They would glide above the ground and float through the living room door towards me, moving very, very slowly. I knew that this was not a natural thing, as nothing hovers like that and goes through a solid object with ease. I was always frightened by this sight, and as these beings approached me, I would pass out and remember nothing more till I woke the next morning. I had this so-called dream again and again. On another occasion, I was staying at my other grandparents' home. On one night, I was sleeping in their bed with them when I slowly began to rise out of the bed. I turned over to face them as I was rising. I could see where I'd been sleeping. I rose up at an angle towards the ceiling and then I remember nothing more. I forgot about these so-called dreams from childhood until I was about 14 when I began to read paranormal books and the stories of other people being visited by aliens and it reminded me of my visitors and my experiences as a small child. I have had many other experiences with what I would call spirit guides and I believe my so-called spirit guides are the same beings that visited me as a child. I'll tell you more of those stories next time. In 1992, I moved back to London, having lived in France for three years. I ended up staying in Wimbledon, and I found myself a very clean, comfortable bedsit, not far from Wimbledon Town Centre. The owners of the bedsit were an elderly couple who were both Mormons, and when I was interviewed for the room, I was told, because of their religion, I was not allowed to drink alcohol on the premises, no drugs, and definitely no female companions were to stay over. At the time, I agreed to these rules and I lived there quite happily for two years. However, during those two years, I did drink and smoke and sneak endless women in and out of my room without the elderly couple ever knowing. I was a young 29-year-old male enjoying life. I was now dating a Swedish girlfriend and we'd just come back from a two-week holiday at her parents' home in the south of Sweden. Prior to me going, Mr F, my landlord, had put up some scaffolding outside my bedroom window and was painting the outside of the house red. When I returned, Mrs F informed me that her husband had died and I was surprised because even though he was old, he appeared quite fit. I told her I was sorry for her loss, though I wasn't really because he was a really awful old man. It was after his death that weird stuff began to happen immediately. I would wake up in the middle of the night, convinced there was someone in my room staring at me, only to discover, once the light was on, that there was no one there. The feeling went on every night, and eventually I was pretty sure it was Mr F coming back to haunt me. I don't think I was frightened by these events. I was more annoyed that there was someone else in my room all of the time just watching me. I would wake up every night convinced he was there, and I began swearing at this invisible man to get lost. Eventually, I accepted he was there, and I could do nothing to get rid of him, so I just went about my business as if everything was normal, including inviting my girlfriend back to sleep there many times. The hauntings began around July, and by the beginning of November, it seemed to have stopped. There was no more feeling that someone was in my room, and I guess he'd eventually moved on to wherever it is we are supposed to go. At Christmas time, my girlfriend and I went over to Sweden and at a party we were invited to, the theme turned to ghost stories. Christmas and alcohol brings out the weirdest stories, don't you think? 
I told everyone about Mr. F haunting me and they all thought that my story was pretty cool. On the way home to my girlfriend's parents' home, she turned to me and said, with a very white complexion, you never told me you had a ghost in your room. I turned to her smiling and I said, I didn't want you to think I was mad. She then looked at me with a look of horror and said, I saw him. I asked what she was talking about and she said, one night when I was staying over with you, someone touched me. When I opened my eyes, your landlord was kneeling down very close to my face and looking very, very annoyed at me. I asked her why she hadn't told me and she said, I didn't want you to think I was mad. Around July, August of 1997, I went to Cornwall for a couple of days to spend some time with my mother, sister and her family who were there on holiday. One evening after dinner at the hotel, I asked my niece if she wanted to come and walk along the cliff and enjoy the summer evening. I hadn't gone very far when I suggested lying down on the warm, dry lawn and do some stargazing. We were just opposite the hotel. The hotel was some way out of Newquay where we were staying, so there wasn't too much light pollution. The stars were amazing, and my niece had never done anything like this before. She was around my eight then, and she lived in central London. There were two bright stars almost directly above us, which I didn't recognise. And not long after, we both focused on them. The one on the left glowed bright and then shot up into space and was gone in a second, at which point the one on the right did the same thing. It glowed bright white and then it shot off up into space, completely disappearing. Those stars had been motionless for some time. They were already hovering there while we walked across the road, while we found a nice, warm, comfortable piece of lawn to lay down on, and while we were focusing on the stars. Both of us saw this, my niece asking me what they were. It's quite amazing how they were directly above us, as though they were monitoring us, or me. Since I mentioned I was a young boy, I had visitations from extraterrestrial beings on more than one occasion. I've had a few sightings of strange objects in the sky before, but those two objects were pretty impressive to watch. In 1999, my girlfriend and I, now my wife, decided to move out of London and into the countryside. I got a job as a trainee gamekeeper in a large estate in Warwickshire. On one occasion, the gamekeeper I was working with gave me a tour of the estate, which was around 6,000 acres. We came across an area where young partridge were kept for two weeks before being released into the wild. It was next to an old, huge oak tree. And I noticed that the top of this tree was flat, as though someone with a giant chainsaw had cut the top clean off. The gamekeeper told me in a casual voice that this tree was haunted. And when I asked how, he told me that during the Second World War, a British Wellington bomber with a Canadian crew crashed into it and all souls died, sadly. I never gave it much thought after that. It was history and I really couldn't believe that a tree could be haunted. After working on the estate for around four months, I was tasked with a young lad to drive over to this tree and build a release pen to eventually put partridge in before they're set free. It was a beautiful calm day with no wind, no clouds in the sky just the best spring day you could hope for. I parked the Land Rover next to the tree 
And we were, what, way out in the countryside at the time. No houses for miles around. I put my radio on the bonnet and I got to work building the enclosure. I was wearing jeans and a white t-shirt. And not long after we had begun, there was this massive cracking sound. It was thunderous. And the young lad who was standing 20 feet away from me shouted, Tree! I looked up and half of this massive ancient oak tree began to fall down on top of me. Since I was in the enclosure, there was nowhere for me to run. I simply put my hands over my head and I crouched down in a squatting position. I knew this wasn't going to help me. I figured this is where I would die, but I couldn't do anything else. As I saw the tree coming down on top of me in slow motion, I thought, this is the end. When I heard a voice, which was very deep and very loud and clear right inside my head, as though I was wearing stereo headphones, said, you will be mine, and then crash, pain and confusion. A part of me wanted to go to sleep, and another side said, stay awake. I crawled out of the debris of the tree, dazed and in pain. My white T-shirt was now deep red. I managed to get into the Land Rover and the young lad who had avoided getting hit drove us back to the estate where I was taken care of. The young lad couldn't drive the vehicle, so we drove five miles over rough terrain in first gear. Two weeks later, I took my girlfriend back to see the place where this had happened and she was sure it was just a branch that had hit me on the head. I had to explain to her that it wasn't a branch. When she saw the remains of the tree, she couldn't believe how I'd survived. I was struck by a huge part of that tree, and it was shaped like a caterpillar, arching itself up before me. Leftovers? Or... The DMV? Or... House cleaning? Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Moving forwards. I'd been under the highest point, about three feet, and I survived the impact. My girlfriend said I must have a guardian angel. That's the only answer for me surviving. I do believe I have a spirit guide that has been with me since birth and has protected me from danger and death more than once. But that's another story, though. I'll finish with a strange story of a man I met in the middle of nowhere. Many years later, myself and my wife were living in the Cotswolds, 
but occasionally I'd have to commute to London. I was a professional actor then. I did a lot of West End theatre work. I would leave home around 4pm to drive for two hours. I'd park up, do a two, three hour show and then drive two hours back home. On one occasion, I had to go to Oxford for a show, which was exciting for me as it was much quicker of a drive and going round and round about my way home. My back left wheel fell off my car. I wasn't going very fast, thank goodness, and I managed to drive the car on three wheels into the parking lot of a BP garage. Still in shock, I ran back up towards a roundabout looking for my wheel. It was about 12.30am and dark but with a little light for some street lights, which gave me some idea of where I was going. Suddenly, there was a very posh voice, an English accent coming from behind me. And there, walking very close to me, was a middle-aged man in a very expensive pinstripe suit and tie. He appeared not to be drunk, but was carrying my dirty old wheel clutched to his chest. And he said, I say, this appears to be your wheel. He looked, walked and smelled sober, but was clutching my wheel as though it was a precious relic or even a child. I was surprised since I had no idea where he came from and why he'd be holding my wheel so carefully. I thanked him and he smiled very kindly at me and just nodded his head and I turned and headed back towards my car. After a few metres, I turned back to call out thanks again to the man but he had simply vanished. There was nowhere he could have gone without me seeing him, unless he could run 100 metres in two seconds, that is. And I was totally baffled by what had just happened. Eventually, the AA arrived and I made it home. I have a number of other experiences, Deb, like this, if you'd want to hear them, because I'm happy to share them with you. Gary. I wonder how many more folk like Gary are out there. People who've had experiences with all kinds of activity. I believe in every family there's a member or even two who have had some kind of unexplained event. I remember when I was in my 30s, I lived in a bigger home then. As a single parent, I would clean up before I took the kids to school and I'd go straight to work. I was much fitter back then and I'd walk the five mile into work, do my shift as a cook and then walk home. If I timed it right, I'd have a spare 20 minutes where I could grab a coffee at home before dashing out to do the school run. There was more than one occasion when I would return home and I'd smell cigarette smoke. I'd check the house for signs of a break-in. Nobody other than me had a key, so there should have been no smell. It wasn't just cigarette smoke. On other times I'd come home and I'd smell baking or cooking along with the smoke. It happened so often, my next door neighbour thought I was a crackpot, as I was convinced someone was living in my loft. Being five foot two meant I couldn't reach up to the hatch, and I'd never been in there. So I asked next door to go in and check for me to see if there was any in there. I was convinced that there was someone in there, but there wasn't. There was no one up there. So I had an alarm fitted on the front door and room sensors. They never triggered. But until the day I left after 18 years, I would smell the other occupants just going about their lives as they did when they lived in that home before me because I checked and I found out an elderly couple had been there first and they were the only tenants. They moved in when the home was a new build back in the 1950s and they lived there till 1996. She was a baker 
and her husband was a heavy smoker. I should add, I never felt scared once I knew it wasn't humans. Ghosts don't worry me. It's humankind that scares me. Well, that and karma. When I was reading Gary's description of the reoccurring dream, it creeped me out a lot, as I had a really lucid, real dream when I was about seven years old. I have never been able to forget it, and I still puzzle about it to this day. I can still feel how terrified I was when it happened, and I can remember the adults telling me it was just a dream. It didn't make me feel any better. Back then, my grandparents owned a couple of scrapyards in the town I lived in, and my parents worked two or three jobs each to make ends meet, so I'd often stay with my nan, and I had an old set of metal army bunk beds as my bed in the closest room to the front door. I hated them, because my long hair would get trapped in the metal meshing on the upper bunk, so most nights I'd try and sneak in with my nan and my granddad, but that didn't always work. Plus, granddad would be up at half four getting the boys up for work. I liked it much better at my nan's as less weird stuff happened there. I remember being asleep and I was in the night he had gone to bed in when I suddenly shot upright in bed. And in my head, I ran to the front window, I looked down cross lane and I saw this man dragging his leg as he walked. He had a D-mob suit on and it was one that was given to the returning serving men in my country at the end of the war. It was made of dark cloth, like a man's overcoat, and it had big wide shoulders and a hat. And it wasn't a trilby or a fedora, but a kind of combination of the two. It was like a hat with a wide brim. And he was bleeding profusely from his leg. His face was ashen white with dark sunken eyes, and his eyes were clearly fixed on my nan's home. I knew he was coming for me. I don't know how I knew, but I did. All of this was happening in my mind. I was still in bed, just sat upright, straight upright. I remember my hair getting entangled in the iron webbing and I just ripped it out. I was that scared. Weirdly, I remember shutting every door along the hallway with my mind. I was slamming them shut one by one. I can never remember if I made it to the front door in time or I opened it anyway. But he was there, wanting to get in. I set off screaming and I woke the whole house. Nan put me in her bed and Grandad decided to stay up anyway and just have a brew until it was time to leave. He said about half an hour after I nodded off, somebody put their hand through the letterbox on the front door and started to pull the key through, as back then we would hang it from a string on the door. Was my dream a warning of a burglar on his way? I don't know. Like Gary... I am unsure if the things I experienced at night in my room were of this world or not. It's easy to call them ghosts, but they were definitely 100% not spirits of any kind. Every evening in bed, when the sun hit the windowsill, I'd get ready to fight whatever horror was that night's main event. Like Gary, I often wondered if I had a guardian angel at times. My first memory revolves around me being so scared in my cot. At night, even as a really young toddler, I would see dark shapes and things all around me. And one night, something loving held my hand. I don't know who he or she was, but I felt them again on the day I had my worst accident, the one that made my foot into a bag of gravel. I died three times that day, and I hardly remember the event.
I was once on the back of a moped with no helmet on, being driven by a lad at a reckless speed, heading down a farm lane to Horseshoe Bay in Haitian. We hit an oil patch. We spun in the air and the bike spun as well. I landed head first on the grass verge. He landed on top of me and the bike landed on top of us both. The bike was wrecked. The lad was messed up. And I walked away with a tiny rip in my jeans. There've been lots of events like this in my life. So I guess somebody still wants me here. I would have been taken out of the game years ago, I suppose. I have to say, though, being touched by an angry ghost sitting at the side of your bed, like Gary's poor girlfriend, would have been much scarier. The idea of a cold, ghostly hand caressing you is not for the faint-hearted. I know the story of a lady called Mrs Barton, who would probably agree. One of our BBR members, Chris Hedges, made me aware of a report of missing time in the Thetford area of the UK. It was in the Strange Company blog and it was shared on the 24th of August 2018. In the summer of 1954, Eric Barton and his wife, Irina, felt the need for a brief holiday. Both were feeling generally tired and stressed by life and the thought a bus trip to the country would revive them. They missed their intended stop and wound up riding to a small village at Wooden Hatch, most famous for being the birthplace of a famed diary and gossiper, John Evelyn. Since they were there, the Bartons decided to examine the Evelyn family church, named after St John the Evangelist. When the couple left the churchyard, they turned to the right, where they found themselves on a badly overgrown path flanked by high, unkempt bushes. The Bartons followed this path uphill to a clearing with a wooden bench. They sat down there to eat their lunch and enjoy the view of the valley below. In the distance, they heard the sounds of someone chopping wood, birds singing and a dog barking. Otherwise, all was quiet. It all should have been an idyllic, peaceful and soothing atmosphere. But for some reason they couldn't identify, the Bartons were just ill at ease. They had a strange sense that just something was off. And then suddenly these sounds ceased and a peculiar hush fell over the scene. An icy terror crept over Mrs Barton and she knew that things were very wrong indeed, but she still not could say how. Then three men wearing what looked like clerical garb entered the clearing behind her. Although she had her back to them, she somehow just knew they were there. One looked friendly, but the other two, in Irina's words, seemed to radiate hatred and hostility. She wanted to get away as quickly as possible, but her limbs stayed frozen in place and she was unable to move. Then the feeling of fear abruptly passed. The men vanished and Eric noticed that Irina's arm felt icy cold, like that of a corpse. The pair quickly left what felt like an accursed spot but they found themselves suffering from weakness and a kind of mental confusion. After staggering off, the Bartons collapsed on the grass unconscious. After a period of time, they found themselves in Dorking without being able to remember how they got there. They thankfully took the train back home to Battersea. Irina remained haunted by this experience. Two years later, she returned to Wooden Hatch, curious to see if she could recreate the inexplicable events of that day. She tried following the same path she and Eric had taken from the churchyard, 
only to find that the landscape had completely changed. There was no overgrown path, no hill, no clearing, no wooden seat. According to the local woodman, there had been none of these features on the estate in living memory. Eric revisited the area himself and confirmed that it was completely different from what had been on their earlier visit. At this point, the Bartons realised that things were getting seriously weird. They contacted the Society of Physical Research, but due to some confusion, their report was overlooked. In 1973, they repeated their story to a solicitor, and SPR member Mary Rose Barrington delivered a paper about the Bartons to the Society in the years following. Barrington researched the area around Wooden Church and was able to verify that the hill and bench described by the Barrington's did not exist, and as far as anyone knew, never had been. However, Barrington found an inquirer enter in John Evelyn's diary for March the 15th, 1696, and John Evelyn wrote of the recent execution of three wretches, one of whom had been a priest, for the crime of attempting to assassinate King William. The men were hanged at a location matching that of the now-vanished landscape observed by Eric and Irina Barton. Were these the three sinister men observed by Irina? And did the Bartons indeed visit the area around Wooden Hatch Churchyard? But only as it existed in the 17th century. In our next report, we hear from a chap called Liam who had a very strange experience with the being sometimes known as the tall man. I wanted to share with you an experience I had a few years ago. I was out one night with a friend and I had a pretty weird experience where we both saw what we can only describe as a slender man, kind of looking thing or person. I know that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but if I was going to make something up, I'd at least say it was something interesting like Bigfoot. I've also had a really scary experience with something at the bottom of my bed when I was a child and I woke up in a really weird position, exactly as if I'd been moved in some way. Let me explain a little bit. My good friend and I are car enthusiasts and we enjoy driving. That's where we're out so late. I think we were seeing what my new suspension was like. It's all happened around four years ago. We would have been about 21, 22 at the time. I can't quite remember what time of year it was. I just remember the weather being dry and not too cold. Me and my mate decided to go for a drive in my car and explore some back roads here in the Lake District. It was pretty dark outside, so it must have been past 10pm. And there were literally no cars around here, nothing on the back roads. I was looking for a bit of a dirt or a gravel park so I could do some stupid stuff like handbrake turns where we wouldn't disturb anyone with it being so late. We came around a corner and over a tiny bridge when I came to a stop and I pulled the car slightly to the left hand side and as I did, I saw a promising kind of dirt gravel road that we could be idiots on. We were both looking over our left shoulder at this road and we were wondering if we should go down it and if the lowered car would make it down there okay. I noticed a light at the bottom of the road and I assumed it was a house. So we decided not to risk angering a homeowner at this time of night. As we went to set off driving, I flicked the high beams back on and as the beam pattern raised, we saw an old barn type building in the light. And it was at the side of the road, just behind a bit of greenery, maybe 20 metres in front of us. Lit up by the light, you could see in the doorway. 
and we saw what we can only describe as a really tall person wearing a suit. You could see the outline of his white shirt and a bit of his blazer, but he had no face from what I can remember. It was the first thing that grabbed both of our attentions as I flicked the high beam on. Probably about three to five seconds later, our wheel spun off that road to get away from there. We both shouting, half screaming, and what the f was that? About half a mile up the road, we decided to go back and check it out again. I went back to the exact bit we'd parked up on. I put the high beams on, and nothing was there. Now, I'm not saying we saw the Slender Man, but we genuinely have no idea what else you'd describe it as. I went back to the building in the daytime a few weeks later, and there was nothing but an old oil drum in the barn. It was half rusty and half of it still had paint on it. It was nowhere near the doorway and nowhere near the height of the man we saw. We still talk about that night to this day between ourselves, because we can't work out what we saw that night. I'd said that I'd had an earlier experience when I was a kid, so I did, and it happened many years ago, but I still remember the exact details pretty well. As time gets on, it gets harder and harder to remember what my exact age was at the time. I think I was about 12. I'm not fully sure, but my brother's four years younger than me, and we were the sort of age where we used to annoy each other and kind of scare each other. I used to share a room with my brother, and we both had a big, sturdy wooden bunk bed. I had the top bunk, said Liam, and he had the bottom. It wasn't an odd thing for him to try and prank me or scare me, try and grab my legs while climbing down or shove his hands through the gaps in the woods and scare me. But never at like 1 to 4am in the morning because my mum and dad would have gone absolutely mental. One night, I randomly woke up and it was near pitch black. I don't know what woke me up. The room was dimly lit from a motion-activated light which would go on and off all night as it was windy at the top of our housing estate, which is a good 100 metres up the road. Anyways, my attention was drawn to the foot of my bunk bed because there was this massive balloon-shaped thing there, and it looked like a head. But it was way too big to be my brother's head, and he's not quite tall enough for his head to be at that height. I think at the time I just assumed it was my brother, but I could still hear him breathing on his bed which was usually a telltale sign that he was going to try and scare me. If he was coming, he'd go totally silent, but I could genuinely tell he was asleep. I started thinking of rational things. It could be like the light showing on the outline of a post on my bed or something. And then this thing started to move. It went down. I couldn't see its head for a while. And then it slowly came back up, but it was a few inches to the right this time. Needless to say, I was absolutely terrified and I got myself as far into the corner of my bed by the wall as I could and this thing started turning its head like a dog does when it's confused, but very slowly. Every movement it made was very slow. So at around this age, I was really into making bases and dens. I'd play with guns and kind of stuff. I was obsessed with lights and lasers. I had a big bicycle light under my pillow which I slowly moved my hand to get hold of. I counted to three in my bed. I leapt to the middle of my bed. I shined that light at the bottom of my bed and nothing was there. I peeked over both edges, both at the bottom and side, and nothing was there. So I figured it was the head post again or something else casting a shadow. I got back into bed, but I kept the light in my hand. 
I got back in and I watched the bottom of the bed for a good few minutes and it come back. It basically did the same thing another two or three times where I jumped to the bottom of the bed, but every time I tried to catch it out, there'd be nothing there. If my brother was swinging about the bottom of my bed, I would have felt and heard the bed. You know, it's just, there's no way. It was 110% not my brother. Plus the next day, he did tease me about it and he didn't. I know at some point in this encounter, I started to kind of whisper, shouting my mum and gradually getting louder. But I got no response, which was weird, because usually the slightest thing wakes her up and she goes mental. I can't quite remember at what point I started calling for my mum. As I said, some of the details have become a bit faint with the years. Anyway, this is where it gets pretty messed up. I eventually fell asleep somehow. I was right up against the corner of the bed by the corner of the wall. And when I woke up, I was sitting with my arms and legs crossed with my back to the open room, resting against the wooden railing. Now, I don't know about you, but any scared child tries to hide or to get to the hardest place to get to, you know, a position of safety. I definitely did not fall asleep like this. Absolutely no way this was a dream. I remember way too much. And the fact that I woke up the way I did. I have no idea what I saw. Maybe it was a ghost. Maybe an alien. I've got no idea. But there was definitely something at the foot of my bed that night. It may be worth adding that I've told quite a few people about both these experiences. Because of one of those people who really doesn't lie. I just say stuff how it is. I saw something on both nights. And I wanted to know what people thought. No one has made fun of these encounters, which tells me they seem to believe me. Thanks, Deb. Liam. In our next report, which is the last one for tonight, I'd like to take you to Yorkshire and the small farm in the hills. I have no idea whether the beings in this are ghosts, cryptids or EMEs, but whatever they are, they are intelligent. I found this report in an old forum out there on the World Wide Web. It's so long ago now, I've never forgotten the fear that comes through the words as our witness explains what happened to them. One night, my friend and I headed out to walk my dog. It was a summer evening, fairly late, so it was getting dark out. We turned down the street, which now ran through Walker's farm, and we had no intention of crossing over onto the remains of the farm. Instead, we followed the path all the way through the trees, which took us to a very badly lit bike path. The path ran through the woods, and the woods were pine trees, and they were very densely planted, and you could see no further than a couple of feet in front of you. My dog Nyla was hesitant in walking down this path. She kept pulling backwards and whimpering. She stalled what was no less than a dozen times, and so she gave in and literally pulled us through as fast as she could go. We could see the exit of the track, thankfully, when we approached it, but we heard a very loud cracking noise above our heads. My friend, Nyla, and myself were all startled. We are looking up, and we saw the top of the tree shaking. This was not caused by a bird or any small critter. There was no wind, and the neighbouring trees were all still. We heard another crack, and then another and we watched as the entire tree shook from top to base, and we heard every branch snap as something fell from above our heads. Eventually, we heard an almighty thud, 
as something hit the ground right next to us, only we saw nothing. Whatever it was was not visible to our eyes, but it shot off, and we watched the branches move as it ran through them into the darkness. All of this must have only lasted a few seconds, and we ran off in the other direction as soon as we could move our feet. Moments later, a friend and I had gone back to Walker's farm, and it was late, around midnight, and we were nowhere near the entrance to the farm, but we heard a distinct clanging sound. We could only describe it as metal on metal, as if a blacksmith was hard at work. We were both aware of the sound, but figured it must have been coming from a distant garage or the garden or something like that. The closer we came to the farm, though, the louder it got. So loud, it disrupted our conversation. We became curious of the noise that was now obviously coming from the farm. We both decided to walk to the top of the hill. And when we reached it, we were sure the noise was coming from inside the hut I'd mentioned earlier. We were both confused at this point because we'd previously visited there in the daylight on other days. There was nothing but old debris scattered around on the floor in that hut. There were no lights. There was nothing coming from it. It had no windows and it was hard enough to see in daylight. So we imagined it must have been the epitome of darkness in there right now. We decided to go onto the farm and get a little closer, purely driven by curiosity. We must have been a hundred yards away from the hut when all of a sudden the noise ceased abruptly. We stopped in our tracks and moments later we were both aware of something peering out from one of the tunnels at us. It was a dark figure, but there was enough contrast to set it apart from the darkness of the farm. It was not a man, and I do not believe it was even human. The feeling I had was enough for me to be sure of that. Terrified does not even come close to it. We stood there and we watched as it went back into the hut and came back to peer around the corner at us a number of times. It was bigger than a normal man. It had a shape, but I cannot say the silhouette was that of a human being. Its head was a very strange shape. In hope of a reply, my friend called out to the dark figure, but that only made things worse. Another dark figure appeared at the feet of the first one. It was peering at us, just like the other one, only this one looked much more animalistic. It was crouched over, on all fours. But again, I cannot say for certain that it took the shape of anything that I'd seen before. This silhouette made a noise, only describable as a snarling, growling, angry noise, but not that of a dog of any kind. At this point, we fled. We were running back to the hill and over it as fast as possible. When we reached the streetlights, we looked back towards the hill to see the first figure standing there, watching us. Now, it never left the ground, but it followed us along as far as it could go. And we saw its head bobbing up and down amid the trees. And this drove us both to tears. That's how scared we were. To this day, I am adamant that what we saw was real. But I do not know what it was. It has always left me with a feeling I cannot really describe. As insane as it sounds, I have never felt the same since then. I don't know what the girls saw that night, but I can understand the fear and the terror. 
when you're out walking the dog, you feel pretty safe. But it's no different to the two lads in the car. You know, even though you're in the car, the fear's still real. Just as real as the feeling of threat being presented to you. How must it feel then to be at home, in bed, when you experience the scariest thing ever, but no one hears your call? I would like to reach out to each and every person who has had an event like the ones we've heard tonight or something similar. Remember, you're not alone. There are hundreds, if not thousands of us who know exactly how you must feel. And we're here if you want to reach out. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I really appreciate and am grateful for all of the support. I always look forward to our weekend chats and I hope you do too. So have a wonderful All Hallows and I'll see you next week. Good night, everyone. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.